Welcome to Win Wednesday. A few reminders as we begin, if we can go to the next slide. We are recording this session and the recording will be available at www.acceleratingwin.org after the session. And throughout our session, if you have questions for our speaker, please submit them through the Q&A function in Zoom. We're excited to present Finding Passion and Purpose with Curiosity and Challenge through the Women in Industry program. And we thank Point Park University's Roland School of Business for their support of this initiative. It's all about educating and empowering, accelerating the success of women-identified students and professionals, and engaging leaders, affecting conversations, and encouraging allyship through elevating experiences. I'm Doreen Saletti with the Roland School of Business, here with my colleague, Sandy Mervosh. And I'd like to turn it over to Sandy to introduce today's speaker. Thank you, Doreen. Um, we're really excited today to have with us Diane Ramos. Diane provides strategic marketing and communication advisory services and leads executive education workshops for multinational corporations. She also coaches women entrepreneurs in Pittsburgh. Prior to retiring from Duquesne University in 2016, Diane anchored the design and 2007 launch of the full-time MBA and was instrumental in achieving the program's international rankings. She co-taught the consulting project and practicum courses that anchor the MBA curriculum, overseeing student teams that framed and solved sustainability challenges for multinational and regional businesses, not-for-profit and government organizations. She also served as Associate Director of Graduate Business Programs, led international study trips, and coached MBA competition teams. She was honored with the university's Creative Teaching Award in 2010. Prior to teaching and consulting, Ramos had two decade progression of management roles in the consumer goods and pharmaceutical industries, where she headed new project product launch efforts, oversaw promotion planning and data analysis, recruited and trained next generation leaders, and facilitated strategic planning and culture redefining initiatives through five mergers and acquisitions. Ramos volunteers as a docent at the Carnegie Museum of Art and serves as treasurer of the Sustainable Pittsburgh Board of Directors. Her BA and MBA are from the University of Pittsburgh. Diane, thank you for joining us today. So thank you for having me. I'm excited to be part of this program. I've watched a number of these and they've been so interesting. So today we're talking about productive professional relationships, something that has been very important in my five decade professional career. And we've titled this Find Purpose and Passion Through Curiosity and Challenge because those four words are really important as we think about professionals in the business or not-for-profit 
or government or any other segment. Um, and I want to start by defining these terms in a somewhat narrow but precise way. So the word productive means worthwhile, it means fruitful, and it also means gratifying. So we're looking for relationships that have some outcome or value and that are gratifying for the people involved. When we think about the word professional, we're talking about paid work versus amateur work, but it also has a secondary meaning, which implies that you are proficient at something, that you are competent. And a third meaning is that you are businesslike when you do that, as opposed to being, say, friendly. This is very much focused on competence for which you are good enough to be paid and which you conduct in a business-like manner. That's what professional captures. And when we think of relationships in the workplace, we're talking about an association. So it can be simply someone who's a coworker and the only real relationship is that you work for the same company. But it also can be an alliance where you're, you're both focused on some goal or product or outcome, or it can actually be an interconnection. For example, what comes to mind on that one is you think of sales teams and they get a group bonus depending on how the team performs or as opposed to an individual. So when we think of productive professional relationships, they can be very tightly defined. And my students in graduate school used to tell me that their workplace friendships and relationships were dramatically different from what they experienced in school. And yes, that's correct. They are dramatically different from what you might experience as a student. And that's an important thing to keep in mind as we talk today. Diane, you've become muted. Sorry about that. When I was uh, changing my clicking, I changed my screen. So I've been doing some research on human resource talent. Uh, performance improvement is a lifelong interest and been part of my professional experience since I was about 16 years old and had my first management job. So this idea that talent is something to find, develop, nurture, manage, and grow has been part of my lifeblood. So great talent is very scarce, surprisingly scarce. Employers predict a 16 to 18 million shortfall in college educated employees. That's huge. And they are 
primarily predicting this because see that little chart over on the right from Pew Research and the dark greeny turquoise portion of the chart. Those are the baby boomers who are still in the workforce. And in 2018, it was 53%. Just updated that a little bit, but I didn't redo my chart because I don't have the precise numbers, but it's just a tad under 50% because the baby boomers are being very slow to retire. Baby boomers are 57 to 75 and they are retiring very, very slowly. And the ones who are retiring most slowly are the college educated ones. So we're looking in 2020, which was a very atypical year. So we'll carry that over to 2021. We're looking at a 95 million professional skill shortfall in North America and Europe where most of the professional jobs are. Now, that's a big deal because a third of executives say that finding talent is their single biggest challenge. 82% say they don't know how to recruit talented people. 93% say they don't know how to retain talented people when they find them. And only 3%, a paltry 3%, of executives in a huge study by McKinsey say they know how to find, develop quickly and well the talent that they want in their organizations. Now, that says to me, there is a huge opportunity for people with talent. I mean, it's huge and it's now. So I look at this and I think, boy, would I like to be young again because I could fill that gap. I'm absolutely certain that I could. So let's look at a few more numbers before we talk. There are currently five generations in the workforce. And this is the first time in recorded history that that has been the case. And this is a rather complicated chart but I want you to look at those generations. The one I want you to look at is the boomer number at the top. So I'm gonna take my cursor and walk you across that. There were 66 million boomers, I think I have this right, in the workforce in 1997, see that? And we're now down to 41, 20 years later. That's not a huge, or rapid retirement rate. Baby boomers have been retiring at a rate of 2% per year since they hit 65. They are staying in the workforce long past 65 and two thirds of baby boomers say they have no interest in retiring at 65. So those old rules that we thought about from the silent generation, which you can see is down here in this darker turquoise line Different, different focus. Now I want you to look at this millennials line, which is this goldenrod line. And they just started in the workforce about 1997. And we're now finally, just in the last few years, we have more millennials than baby boomers in the workforce. That's a huge, huge change. 
And it's, again, a huge opportunity. Because I told you there's a talent shortage, but also there's an even bigger shortage of what I'm going to call superior talent. And if we look at Steve Jobs from Apple's quote, he says, a small team of eight plus players can run circles around a giant team of B and C players. And I will tell you that in my work experience, and I have 50 years of experience as a manager, boy, does that date me. Uh, I have seen that to be true. Look at this chart below. High talent improves productivity up to eight fold. And see what that talent is for? It's for complex jobs, kinds of jobs that require well-educated people. Now, who survives and who thrives? In the workplace, those who are agile and adaptable, able to foresee and adapt quickly, survive. And if that was true a few years ago, boy, is it gonna be true in the next few years after this pandemic turns our world upside down. It also is the place where if you're collaborative and you have diverse ideas and you operate ethically, that you can inspire and motivate. If you're looking for win-win decisions, if you're socially, environmentally, and financially responsible, the world needs you. And there is a very significant opportunity for you to make an impact. If you're performance focused, we talk about being efficient and effective, meaning getting it done quickly and cost effectively. And accurately and professionally. We look at analytical evidence-based folks who can use numbers and understand numbers. And then there's this balance between generalists and specialists. There are specialized jobs. Management tends to be a generalized job. The first job out of school is often a specialist job. And the higher you go up the corporate or not-for-profit or government ladder, the more you're expected to know more things about more things. And generally, the generalist is someone who can manage any specialist. And then finally, the technological frontier is changing so rapidly that if you're not keeping up, you're not gonna have your opportunities in your career. Now, I want to talk about mentoring a bit because this is just a really important way to think about getting ready for this huge opportunity that is literally just around the corner for those of you in the workforce. And I'm guessing I'm the only one on this call who's no longer in the workforce because I'm, I call myself semi-retired, but I no longer have a full-time job that I go to. So if I say mentor, you probably think of an experienced and trusted advisor. And in fact, when I look it up on a variety of resources, because I never just take Webster for, for, for example, I always have to have two or three. I used to be a professor. Uh, it talks about advising or training someone who is younger than you. So I think about all the people I've mentored in my career, and there have been many, and yes, most of them were younger than me. So 
look at those synonyms for mentor, advisor, guide, confident, counselor, consultant, therapist, master, advocate, coach. We don't see the word friend on there. And I think that's really important because one of the things that I have struggled with as a mentor is when people wanted me to cross what I'm gonna call that professional line and be a friend or a parent. I have my own kids, it's enough, I don't need any more. Or a big sister or help them with their love life. All of that is more than I can handle as a mentor in a professional relationship. And that doesn't mean that occasionally I don't become really good friends with someone I work with, but it does mean that much of the time there is boundaries for me and for the mentee. Now, I put that kind of hokey graphic there because we think of a mentor as someone who pulls you up and helps you to find your potential. And I'm gonna shift that paradigm today because something wonderful has happened to me in the last decade that I really hadn't thought about quite this way, but I wanna share it with you. And that is that I now see mentors as equals. And I see the only good mentoring as that which is mutually beneficial and I think that all of us, especially those who are starting out in their careers, need to find an array of mentors to whom they can give more than they get. Now, how did I have this amazing paradigm shift? I started thinking about all the people who have invested in me and who have inspired me. And it started to be a whole lot of students who were much younger than me. And my personal closest mentoring relationship right now is one that started the other way. His name is Jamar. He's a young professional man. I started mentoring him when he was finishing his master's at Carnegie Mellon. Most of quite sure what he was gonna do with it. And in the process of mentoring this amazing, remarkable young man, it hit me one day that I was the one being mentored because his life, his experiences, his background, his worldview, his race, his gender, and I could go on and on and on, was nothing like mine. And so Jamar and I, and we're currently working on writing something together, have become co-mentors to each other. And it is a wonderful, professional, productive, relationship which is mutually beneficial and where we're both getting a lot out of it. He's keeping me younger, smarter, more tuned into the world as it is today. And I'm helping him think through some of the workplace challenges that he is experiencing as a young professional black man in a world where very few people look like him or have had his life experiences, All right? So we'll keep going. So I mentioned generations because that's really important. Jamar is young enough to be my kid. He's younger than two of my kids. And I uh, actually probably could be his grandmother if I thought about it. And, and I had had my kids really young. 
When we think about these five generations in the workforce, see those traditionalists over there at 2% and Generation Z at about 5%, they're still there and we need, we need to learn and think from them because the traditionalists bring history and loyalty and, um, and some, 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 some other straightforwardness that we, could, we can learn from. And the Generation Z is coming in with, with just this whole progressive view of the world. But most of the workforce is right here in baby boomers and Generation X and millennials. And I got to tell you, these three groups are nothing alike. The baby boomers are typically optimistic. They came after World War II. They're very competitive. They have work ethics and they're 57 to 75 and they are holding on to their jobs. And the ones in the workforce, they're the ones with the college degrees. They have the good jobs. And so they're a factor. They are not gonna, they are not gonna pull back. And in some cases, they are the decision makers in major organizations. They are certainly the decision makers in government. Then we look at Generation X. That's a third of the population. And I have three kids and one is Generation X, one's a millennial, and one sits on the cusp between those two. And boy, are the folks who they went to school with and who they hang out with different. My Generation X guy and his millennial sister are so much alike. They are even in the same profession. They have such similar kinds of abilities. And, 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 and boy, is their world, world view and value system different. They grew up in the same house with the same crazy mother. So thinking about your workplace in terms of who's there and how we're gonna get all these folks to learn from, grow, work together, have productive relationships. So I'm gonna to suggest to you that in the mentoring world, you're gonna want people from all generations to be working together and you're gonna be teaching and learning and growing the more you interface with different kinds of people across generations. Those baby boomers have a lot of information that you could be really benefiting from knowing. Okay, so my first piece of advice, we're now into the advice stage, is to find people unlike you. Now, what do Helen Keller and Mark Twain have in common? Anybody just to type that in? What do you think these two have in common? You can just type in the Q&A. You think of anything these two might have in common? They met when she was 14 and he was in his 50s. All right, we have someone who says what they have in common is determination. And you are exactly right, but they had a few other things in common. But thank you for that. They did have determination. Helen Keller, and that is exactly 
why Mark Twain admired Helen Keller so much that he wanted to meet her. They were both determined, they were both authors. And Helen Keller nurtured this relationship until Mark Twain's death, and I think that was about 15 years or so, because Mark Twain never made her feel different. He never made her feel embarrassed. He waited patiently for her to read his lips when he told her stories. And there's this whole wonderful exchange if you read up on these two, that is very heartwarming. So we have two authors with a lot of determination who became an unlikely friendship that was mutually beneficial and productive and inspiring. So I want you to find people unlike you. Now that may seem harder than you think. So I found this link to diversity in the workplace and examples. And while there are more than this, I like their list because they look at the internal pieces. And as I look down that column, that left column, the internal column, those are things that we kind of, that's standard issue. We don't get to pick those things. Those are things that we're sort of, sort of born with. Um, then we have these external things, and those are all variables. Our work experience, our life experience, our interests, our education, how we choose to present ourselves, where we choose to have our citizenship. We may have been born of a nation, but we have some choices about where we might want to be citizens. We have choices about where we live. We have choices about whether or not we have children or families or stay connected to the families that we were born into. We uh, may have been raised in a religion or with the spiritual, but those are also things that we have some choices about as we move through our lives. And then we look at these organizational, oh, socioeconomic status too is also something that can vary. And then we look at these organizational pieces, like what job we're in, because boy, does that change how we think about ourselves. What our status is in an organization. I remember being the, the entry-level person, and I also remember being the last decision maker. Very different. Where we work, how we work, how long we've been there, whether or not we're in a union. And then we look at this worldview. When I was... 18, or actually when I was 21, I'd never been outside Pittsburgh. So my worldview was very different. And I grew up in a coal mining town. My world than it is now when I've been to 40 some states, my grandson counted, but I don't remember what he came up with. And, and five continents and many countries. Our politics has changed over a lifetime. And our knowledge of history changes, some through what we read and experience, and some through what's happening all around us. Okay, so my second point is that I want you to be curious. And you may laugh when you look at Curious George, 
Doreen, do you, do you remember Rudy? Did you have Rudy? I remember Rudy. So Rudy was the most curious student we ever taught. Doreen and I taught together, we could have taught. And every class, Rudy would come in and say, whatever the reading was assigned, whatever, whatever, whatever was going on, he goes, I'm curious. Well, Rudy's curiosity raised the level performance for everyone on every team. For our class, I've never researched so much in my life as I did when Rudy was my student. It was wonderful. I loved it. Recently, not recently, a couple of years ago, because nothing is recent this past year, Rudy invited me to a dinner party where he had this assortment of people. And what a thrill to be just sitting there with Rudy and all the things he was curious about. Again, so many years after I had them. I have a grandkid who loves Curious George, who asks too many questions, who drives my son absolutely crazy. I love it. Because if you're curious and you ask open-ended questions, you will learn so much from every generation. And it is conversations that are the work of business. So yesterday I listened to an NPR podcast. It was so fortuitous. And they called open-ended good questions, born of curiosity, the dopamine of life. I love that. So get some dopamine in you, ask questions, make them open-ended, listen and learn, and those will foster wonderful relationships throughout your life and those relationships will serve you well. So be curious, curious George. And I just wanted to comment that I think that is just amazing. Uh, it, the curiosity leads us in so many different directions and it helps us to expand our horizons. On the marketing and sales side, we talk about innate curiosity being something that really helps propel careers forward. And, and I can see how that could really be relevant to mentoring and advising relationships. Well, and, and you brought up something that I actually wanted to talk about and, and forgot to on my earlier slides. So I'm going to slow down for just one minute and talk about it. And that is across the course of your life and your career, you will discover that you are good at something you didn't know you were good at. So I used to be the math science freak in my high school. I, I won every science fair you could win. I love science, I loved math. I make my living with words. And words do not come easily to me. And one of the reasons I can make my living is worth words is because I had to really work hard to discover that I liked words. So don't decide what you're gonna be or how you're gonna be or what your career is or what you love or focus only on your strengths because if you dabble enough and you're curious enough, you will find new interests and strengths and those will keep life fresh and exciting for you. Any other thoughts on that before I move after that point, Doreen or, or Sandy? No, I would just encourage our listeners to embrace their curiosity. You know, I think about the five whys. 
you know, we drill down, we keep asking why we don't, if we give up on that curiosity, we really start to limit ourselves. Children have it right. They know, ask questions. That's how you learn. That's how you discover. And when you ask a good question, not a question that says yes or no, or says, do you agree with me? But a real question, and then sit back and wait for the answer. It is absolutely amazing what you will discover. Because we all, as human beings, see things as we are, not necessarily as things are, or as other people see them. So if we think of work as a place where you get things done with other people, then your career is going to depend on those questions and curiosity to keep you learning and growing. All right. Now, I'm going to ask you to type in the Q&A what this means to you. If I say to you, create value, what does that mean? What in the world might I be talking about? How do you create value? Just quick ideas, whatever comes to mind. And you know, Diane, my mind goes right to marketing value and types of utility. So I'll be really excited to see what our listeners think about creating value. How do you create value. All right, we got someone's come. We've got one coming up here. Ashley says that value is something meaningful. Okay. Who can add to that? Create value by doing something meaningful. And let's expand that definition a bit. And making the world a better place. And going away with something you didn't have before the relationship which is the mentoring piece, new insight, new skills, perhaps new insight into yourself or your possibilities. And encouraging others. I love those answers. Those are great answers. Because creating value isn't just about you. It's about creating value for the organization, perhaps increasing sales or profit or coming up with new products. But it's also about investing in other people. Because when you help other people learn, grow, perform, develop, self-actualize, as Maslow used to talk about it in psychology, then you are giving to others and to the world. So this two-way relationship isn't all about me feeling good about someone I'm mentoring. It's about me learning from the relationship and growing and being improved. Another person I'm mentoring right now is a young, young woman named Megan, who has me completely and totally rethinking women's decorum in the workplace. 
So I grew up at a time where we thought we had to act like men and dress like men. And happily for my daughter and all of the younger women out there, we can, we can feel free to dress however we please and, and have our own identities in the workplace. Um, I, and another thing I read yesterday, which I think is so important to think about as we're creating value, is that women, older women, are the most discriminated against members of the workforce, or at least they think they are. And that comes from a uh, Deloitte study that looks at generations. And the other thing that comes from a McKinsey study that I read yesterday, I read a lot, can you tell, is that moms are really having a tough time right now in this workforce. And so if we think about creating value and we change what some of those rules might be and how we think about who creates value and what we do to empower them to create value, that's all part of that helping people be the best they can be. So as you are creating value, I intentionally chose this graphic because see how many different kinds of measurements are listed there in little graphs and charts because you want to be able to demonstrate that you are creating value. Quantify that value, but the value comes from people. There's no question about it. All right, so let's talk about dissent. Now that may scare you a little bit, but dissent is required. Dissension is required for progress. I think that's from Hamilton. We're, 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 and, and, and it comes with some rap lyrics and a beat, but if you do not work in an environment where open debate and dialogue and different points of view are welcome, you're not gonna grow. And if you can't disagree, you're really going to have trouble in that five generation workforce because you are not going to see things eye to eye. So learning how to disagree and discuss differences productively becomes really important. I told you to look for people who are different from you. And when you do look for people who are different from you, I'm going to suggest that you don't focus on what you have in common. We all look for that common ground. Instead, I think it's much more productive to talk about how you're different and how those differences open up your eyes and your minds and your hearts because we're not all the same and we don't all come from the same place and we don't all feel the same way about so many issues. And we live in this, this complex, very splintered society that focusing on the three things we have in common doesn't solve all of the challenges related to how we're different and have a right to be different. So welcome dissent, welcome differences, talk about it. And these are hard conversations but when you ask open-ended questions and you don't judge, 
you will be surprised what you learn and how it opens your worldview and hopefully opens some hearts and minds. So disagreement, when done kindly, with consideration, with respect for the other's point of view, it's a good thing. There's a debate, debate is good. Healthy debate is always good. Unhealthy debate, not so good. All right, uncertainty. If there's anything we've all learned, like it or not, is that the world is a messy place. It's uncertain. When I went to work for Procter & Gamble in 1971, I thought I would work there for the rest of my life. That's certainly what they tried to convince me when they recruited and hired me. I was gonna have the management development opportunity of a lifetime. Well, it wasn't quite what I expected. They were not ready for women in management and they definitely weren't ready for someone as spunky as me. So I didn't stay nearly as long as they thought I would. And the uncertainties that we all face in life are significant. I worked for the same company for almost 20 years. And then after I left that company, I went back on a contract and worked for them for another 10 or 15 years uh, on my time because I had three kids and that worked for me. But the uncertainties that will face you in your life, some of them will be planned, some of them will not be, but they're gonna be there. So learning to welcome ambiguity, figuring out how to navigate it, and how to be confident and optimistic that whatever curves and arrows and viruses might come your way, you will be able to deal with it really becomes very important. So I'll share on this little point um, some advice that I got from the chief of surgery at Children's Hospital about 20 years ago. Maybe it was even more than that, maybe 25 years ago. One of my kids was quite sick. He was in intensive care. He's fine now. We knew he was going to be fine rather quickly, but he became very frightened and had some pretty unpleasant procedures in front of him. And I said to the doctor, this kid has lost hope and optimism. How do we, how do we restore that sense that he can move forward without this, this cloud hanging over his head? And the doctor said, the meaning of the word optimism is that you are prepared for whatever happens and you believe that you can handle it and you can rise to the challenge and rebound from the things that go wrong in your life. Boy, it was Eddie gave me a book to read, which I lent to a friend and she never returned it. And it was How to Raise an Optimistic Child. And it was all about contingency planning. We call those scenarios now. You probably have heard people scenarios. Uh, I have three adult kids in three very different professions and they're all doing scenario planning for their companies from the really big company to the middle-sized company to the small architectural firm. They're all doing scenario planning because they have no idea what next week's gonna look like. So you don't have to do it formally, but you can navigate uncertainty by thinking about what's likely to happen, the maybes, 
how will I respond? How will I get through? How will I bounce back when the world falls apart and I have to pick up and move on? We all face them. We all face them. So that's where your mentor can be helpful because mentors, older and younger, parallel different worlds can help you think about possibilities differently than you would if you only wore your own blinders. Sharing knowledge. This is my pet thing right now. This is what I'm working on. Huge research. I'm hoping to publish something on this because I'm a baby boomer and I'm a retired baby boomer. And I've actually done a fair amount in my life. But the thing I'm most proud of is I've retired twice from two different industries. And both times I shared knowledge in a way that the people who replaced me could do my job better than I could. But I see all over the world and in many industries, I see my friends, my, my contemporaries hoarding information and making it very hard for the younger, capable, bright millennials, Gen X to succeed in their jobs because we're clinging to what we know and what we wanna know and we're just not being very generous or graceful. So I'm gonna to suggest to you if you're younger than me and I'm gonna guess that everyone on this call is that when you share useful knowledge with older people, they will find a way to share useful knowledge with you. And that knowledge sharing can be very valuable and it is so much more than just technology. Every organization has a history and a long memory and there are many people facing retirement who don't want to retire because they're afraid of what's out there. And anybody who's under 57, did I say that's yes, 57 are the baby boomers. Anyone under 57 probably has something interesting to offer people over 57. So when you make these relationships, sharing knowledge in an intelligent, productive way that is beneficial will give them a reason to share knowledge with you. And that knowledge is invaluable, absolutely invaluable. So knowledge sharing, get those old people like me to tell you what they know without poisoning your mind about why it didn't work 20 years ago because it isn't 20 years ago situation anymore, right? I do love people my age, but Sometimes we hold on to things too long. Uh, my most exciting thing that's happened to me in the last year as part of the pandemic is that I realized the extent to which my daughter is now more competent than me on so many fronts. That's exciting. And my son, who's the middle child in our family said, you know, she's more competent than you now. You used to be the most competent person in the family. You aren't anymore. I go, yeah, it's really great. And my daughter said, it's a little bit of a double-edged sword. So this sharing of knowledge in a way that enables others to pass you up, really important. And sharing knowledge in a way that people who have skills and talents you don't can make things better than you could make them yourself is also important, all right? 
which gets me to my final recipe for success in life. And that is passion is important. Follow your passion. Don't be blindsided by it. Do some dabbling, do some experimenting, try out your talents. But passion becomes energy and energy breeds success. If it doesn't, figure out why, <laughs> move ahead because you're gonna be an enduring personal brand. I've worked for dozens of different companies in my career. That's not what I expected. I truly, I expected to work for Procter & Gamble my entire life. My godmother worked for Susan Roebuck her entire life. I thought that was my future too. Um, but that isn't going to be your future. And the world is going to change so much more rapidly for those of you who are still in the workforce than it did for those of us who are in the twilight of our careers. And so this idea that you're gonna have an enduring personal brand, a reputation that lasts as long as you want to work becomes really, really important. And that doesn't mean you don't make some occasional mistakes. That does mean that you are focused on being your best authentic self in a way that makes you enduring and flexible and able to reinvent yourself and always stay up to date. So I put those on a recap because I think these are so important to having productive relationships and fulfilling careers and being resilient in your careers because we don't know what's gonna happen. And so, uh, I'm ready for some questions. Who has the first question? And I will stop sharing. And I, I will ask um, Sandra and Doreen to help me out with those questions. Yeah, absolutely. This was fantastic. And so for those who are listening, feel free to use the Q&A function again to share your questions, your thoughts, your feedback with, with Diane and with us. We would love to talk with you more about Diane's recipe for success moving forward and her really interesting take on mentorship and that focus on finding people who are different from you. And, and lots of, of sharing up, knowledge. down, across, around, around <laughs> the world. We can, we can have a relationship with anybody on Zoom. Yeah, it's really changed. That's one, maybe one benefit of the, the pandemic is, is the use of technology that helps to connect us in different ways. Uh, not that there has been much beneficial, but that maybe has been one. It looks like we do have a question from Ashley. With the knowledge that you have now, what would you have done differently in your career? I love that question, Ashley. Thank you for asking it. Um, I would have taken more risks. I would have, and this one's really important to me. Um, I was in a meeting yesterday. It was a Zoom meeting. And... Uh, so there were things going on that I didn't like. And I was sitting there jotting down notes about how I was gonna be the one to say, I don't think, I don't think this is appropriate. And, and a younger woman beat me to it and she did it so eloquently. And I was embarrassed that I hadn't stood up sooner because there are injustices in the world 
there are you have to you have to call them when you see them and you have to have the courage to say i don't want to be part of this i was always in my career i was always the only woman in management when i was in the corporate world and it was such a huge burden and i i worried so much about picking my battles you know i i, I can't object to everything i can't fight for every injustice. And, and yet the truth is pretty much every time I spoke up in public, I made an impact. Now, I, I have to say, I didn't realize that at the time, but as I look back on it, I was the only woman in management. I was the youngest person in the room. And when I had the courage to say it out loud, I made an impact. When I went through the channels and told my boss quietly and privately, I did not make an impact. So figuring out what you care enough about to stand up and be counted for, and then doing it in an intelligent, professional, calm way is something that I would do all over again. I can't tell you the changes I would have made if I'd had the courage that I have now, which I didn't have enough yesterday because the young woman had, had courage. It wasn't that I didn't have courage. It was, I was so busy picking my words that she spoke up. Yeah. Great question. Thank you. Any, anything you could add to that ladies? Yeah. I think the courageous conversation piece that that's a big one. Uh, conversations aren't always easy to have, especially when we're concerned that there may be some risk involved. And so adding courage to our own innate curiosity and sometimes approaching these courageous conversations with some questions and trying questions. to- you can, you, you're, you're right, you never get in trouble. So, so one of the things I learned as a docent at the museum doing children's tours, kids say unbelievable things when they-, when they and, and, and our question is, what did you see that makes you say that? It works for everything. What did you read that makes you say that? You know, what experiences have you had that makes you say that? Why do you say that? Because it forces the person who has made the comment to defend their comment. And sometimes you don't have to say, that was a really awful comment, or I really disagree. You let them figure their own way out of it. So mm -hmm. questions, questions, open-ended questions, innocently ask. I had this seven-year-old first grade grandson, a different grandson than the last one, who asked lots of questions without any judgment. I mean, he just wants to know. That's with the wild-eyed curiosity of curious George, ask a question. All right, with the next, we have another question? Love that, thank you. And please feel free to continue to use the Q&A and put those questions in there. I'd just like to say that um, a lot of what you've talked about, you know, is obviously very near and dear to my heart being in HR. And um, I'm actually teaching a course right now that is focused on um, the pandemic and organizational responses around HR. And our theme all semester has been think outside the box and viewing the pandemic as almost like this amazing opportunity and experiment without diminishing the incredible hardships that have been a result of it. But 
one of our, when, when I have these conversations, I actually have the class after this um, event. One of the things we talk about is so many great conversations that have come out of the pandemic in organizations and how people have had the opportunity to become aware of the value and differences. And our con our, our, at the end of every class, it's like, but how do we continue this energy going forward? That the pandemic's given us opportunity to realize that the value in diversity, um, the value in flexibility, uh, the, the even you know, the value in mentorship of taking you know learning from someone else, and you know when you get into these situations where there's you, I know myself and and Doreen, we've learned a lot about technology that we never knew prior to the pandemic, and and we've mm -hmm. learned it from students, we've learned it from each other, but you know keeping that energy moving forward, I, I think it's so important that the pandemic has presented us with amazing opportunities around, you know, our voice and, and not just the pandemic, but just 2020 has given us many opportunities about our voice. How do we keep that energy going forward? I don't have an answer for that, but I do think that once you have seen a better way, you don't slide back. So I, I look at the women's movement from you know the 60s when I was marching on campus and bringing radical speakers to now. And while there are there is forward progress and then a little slide back, you never go all the way back, I don't think. And I think that has happened uh, in businesses too, from, from teamwork to uh, data analysis to how we think about marketing. So, 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 I, so I think that there is certainly risk of sliding back, but I do think we have permanently changed what is possible and that enough people have seen. I think one of the best things that came out of this is that when I had my first son in 1979, the president of the company came in my office and told me to get rid of the picture of my child because nobody needed to know I was a mother. So we have seen 1979. Um, we have since seen people on Zoom. We've been in their homes. We've seen their kids' pictures. It's okay for women to, to be proud of their kids and to share that that's part of their life, which for me was really important, but I never mentioned my kids at work for probably 10 years because I was told not to. I should have fought that. I don't know why I didn't. But, but I do think, um, I, I think the world has changed. I think part of that is in an internet, social media, fragmented media, uh, it's harder to hide things. So, so we are much more open and those Gen Zs are really open and honest. That's that's not Gen Zs. Is that the last group? Yeah, Gen Zs, the ones, the ones being born right now, the progressive ones who are entrepreneurial and global in their thinking. I think there's one more question in here.
No, I think we got all the questions and I also believe we have come to the end of our time. So, um, you know, thank you very much for joining us. And uh, we would like to just quickly thank everyone involved with uh, the WIN initiative at Point Park University. We have another event on April 21st, where we're going to uh, be joined by Roxanne Epperson of Women Against Abusive Relationships. And she's gonna talk about a really sensitive subject that we think needs to be heard. And that is surviving um, domestic violence and the impact it has in the home, workplace and community. So um, thank, you, thank you everyone for joining us. Thank you, Diane, for uh, this incredible information. And our, our final parting words, uh, please always remember you are not alone and together we will make a difference. So thank you.